0: What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Lost and Lifting Talk.
1: <laughs> I,
0: don't <laughs> I don't know how to start it
1: either. All right, what is going on, everybody? This is Jeremiah Bear, and I am joined today by my man, Chaz Spackman, or he is, I am joining him. Anyways, this is a show <laughs> this is a show we're both doing monthly together. It's gonna be on both of our podcasts. So not really exclusive to either, but like we've been talking about, man, we've both gotten such good reception on these Q and A's that we've been doing together that we just decided why not make it into a monthly thing, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's super cool too. And um, like we talked about well last month when we did it, I haven't really seen anybody else like collab on a a podcast before where they each have their own podcast like we do, and then link up once a month just to record a Q and A for the people that listen to yours and the people that listen to mine, and be able to air them both on both of our podcasts. So it's not like where you're listening to Living Lean or just Lost and Lifting Talk. We need a name to to <laughs> name like this one episode per month or something that would be cool too. That we Lost can- and Lean lost a lead or something cool like that. To where we can just get on and chat. And I've got really good reception from everybody too that's listening. Right. It's cool because like you hit on it from one side and then it like props the thought in my head to be able to hit on the question from another side so you can really tackle the questions. And it's, it's fun just to be able to connect every month, honestly, too, and just be able to chit-chat and talk about training and nutrition and coaching. So no, I 100%. enjoy it. Side, I mean.
1: That's how now when I do my solo Q&As, I always wish there was someone else here to talk to because I feel like it's so much you can just go so much more in depth and it's so fun to bounce ideas off of each other too. I just, I love being able to like the depth that we can go into on all these questions. Cause like you said, we both have different viewpoints. We both have kind of different expertise in a different demographic that we work with. So I really feel like we can attack all these questions from all sides.
0: Yeah. 100%. So I enjoy it, man. I'm excited to, uh, to do it every month. I'm, I'm super stoked that we came up with the idea and we're going to get after it. So, yeah.
1: Dope. All right. In that case, man, you ready to get into it? Sure. Let's, uh, let's go. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, I think you have more questions than me if you want to start us off.
0: Okay. So the first one is, what sets a great coach apart from an average coach?
1: Ooh, that is a good question. Man, I think that, I think it's connection, honestly. I think that there's a lot of coaches out there. know their shit very very well but are missing the actual connection empathy and like truly giving a shit about your clients and I think when you do that it ties back to this idea of like you're over delivering in everything you do which I like for me that's been I know right when I started coaching a dude I followed just said like if you want to be a personal trainer you just always have to focus on over delivering everything else will come so it really comes down to like Like I said, like you're connecting with your clients, asking them about their lives, like actually taking the time to dig in, truly giving a shit about like, okay, what is going on with you? Like if you're struggling, why are you struggling? It's not just try harder. It's like, hey, like what's going on in your life that's really impacting your adherence? How can we work around that? How else can I help you outside of just, here's your macros, here's your training, see you next check-in. So, I mean, I think that, I guess I'm going to change my answer to over delivering. But I think that encompasses so many things like this connection. It's so much more than just giving, than just dumping the science on somebody, just telling somebody what to do. It's actually giving a shit about your clients and just always going above and beyond.
0: I agree with that 100%. When it comes to coaching and the science, what I, as a coach, you need to know the science. Absolutely. It's something, it should be at the foundation of your business and your practice but knowing the science doesn't necessarily help somebody get a result most of the time in my experience it comes down to their personal lives. Like what do they have going on? Where's their thought process? What are their habits outside of training and nutrition? Where is their mindset at with everything that they're doing? And so if you're going into, if you're a coach and you're trying to coach somebody and you think you can just give somebody some macros and some food ideas and a workout plan and say, okay, check in with me every week and, and stick to this and I'll make adjustments when I need to make adjustments. And you think that's all that coaching is, um, you better either be charging a very low amount for that or, um, Yeah, it's just, it's not going to work long term. It's not a long term strategy. You have to create a connection, just like Jeremiah said, with your clients, and make sure that, like I said, most of the time, it doesn't come down to calories and to their workouts, it comes down to their mindset and what's going on in their personal lives, what they're what they're telling themselves, are they when you're starting with them a lot of people don't initially think that they can even do it which stops them from even putting in an honest effort and so really getting to the bottom of people's issues and what's really stopping them from reaching their goals on their own is the first step and I I think that's what sets apart a good coach from just a decent coach because if you're not practicing those things you're not going to be able to get a lot of people results from the start and it doesn't even have anything to do with your strategies it has to do with actually connecting with that person
1: oh 100 i mean how many times have you used like i know we both love the science of nutrition and training love knowing mm-hmm. out about that stuff
0: most don't
1: right but and like how often do you actually have to use like a crazy advanced nutrition strategy with a client like I wish I had more stories about clients that I just use this wild like, okay, this is this macro split that we use and it was crazy and this is why they got shredded. It was because like we fixed their insulin sensitivity issues and all this, but really it's like, no, we like work through some stuff in their lifestyle, find, find a plan that f- could fit them because this is very individualized and we like took the time to dug in it, that dig into that. And that's why they were able to be super consistent. Controlling their calories, getting plenty of nutrients, getting plenty of protein, and they maybe they train like three to five times a week. Of course, they're following a smart training program. But again, it's well, there is science behind it. I think it's simpler than like I think so many coaches that like struggle to get clients' results are like chasing. Okay, I need to dive deeper in the science. I need to dive deeper in the science. So, which, which like again, I know we're both constantly learning. We're both constantly hiring coaches, taking courses, things like that to develop our knowledge. Because I think as a coach, that's important to keep you excited and to keep learning. But for most coaches, I don't think it's like, damn, I don't know these like secret strategies with most advanced coaches. And that's why I can't get my clients or adults. Normally it's the connection that's missing.
0: Absolutely. And like with, just like you said, you don't use these crazy advanced strategies that often all they're for somebody like me or for you super fun to learn about it and it gives you more confidence as a coach i think to go Mm -hmm. out and market yourself because you know everything regardless of the situation you're putting exactly you're going to be able to work through it but just like you said the majority of people it doesn't come down to these crazy advanced techniques it comes down to getting consistent with your foundation and then with time you might work into these more advanced strategies but first the consistency comes down to creating an individualized plan as well as connecting and working through people's habits and their mindset and helping them learn how to journal and think more positively and create self-confidence in themselves to know that they can actually achieve their goals so just like you said from the beginning um it all comes down to connection and in my experience in my opinion right
1: Right. and i like i like what you said there too about how studying increases your own confidence because that's a big Mm -hmm. part of it too is the buy-in you get from your clients people very much sense how confident you are in yourself and I even posted about this the other day like I think that it's important that coaches look the part or at least you can say you 100%, I saw that
0: post I liked it
1: at least use which I know is a controversial, controversial thing but and I'm not saying like all coaches need to be crazy jacked or the most ripped person but I think you do need to be able to answer the question am I practicing what I'm preaching to my clients and if you can answer yes to that you're good but if you can't or like like I talked about there, like if you're promising people a result, which you've never been able to achieve yourself, you're always just going to feel like an imposter, right? Like your confidence in yourself is going to be so much worse. Like this is literally what inspired my first transformation. When I hired my first coach, I was telling people they could get, I could help them get super lean, but I had never like gotten myself super lean. And it led to like so much ambivalence as far as I didn't feel super confident in what I was prescribing. So I was like, okay, I'm sick of feeling like this. I need to do this myself. And that for me, like 10X my confidence. Now, again, like it would be unrealistic to expect coaches to, like always be shredded or be the most jacked person in the room or anything like that. But again, like you're saying, like knowledge, practicing what you're preaching, all these things in turn, your clients see that it increases their buy-in their trust in your process, connection and trust. Those are two good things to focus on and therefore they get better results.
0: I think, you nailed it right there, man. I saw that post too. I, I cut you off and said that, but um, I think that it's spot on too. I think if you're going to prescribe somebody a diet, you better know the struggles of that diet so that you okay. can relate and help them through it. Right. We want to make things as individualized as possible. But at the end of the day, Nutrition is hard. Consistency inside of nutrition can be hard, regardless of how individualized it is. It takes patience. It takes pre-planning, all things that people, if you're overweight or trying to lose weight, you you struggle with in the first place. And so you need to understand those struggles to be able to relate and uh, help as much. I'm just one little nugget and we can move on to, I think something that separates coaches is willingness to invest into yourself. And we've talked a lot 100%. about this, too, but, but the more that you invest in yourself, the better coach that you'll become. And the, the more that you'll believe in what you're doing, because you invested time and money, you put your money where your mouth is. And, and that ups your confidence level to be able to go out and provide a better service and know your worth as well inside of your service. So, so yeah.
1: Oh dude, hundred percent. I always say the more you invest in yourself, the more valuable you become. Right? Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I think we pretty much covered that one. Next question I had first question I had was how to overcome the fear of raising calories up after a very long deficit.
0: I just released a podcast episode on this um, today, actually about (laughs) binge eating. I went through a lot of that. It's just asking how, how do you do it?
1: Just overcoming that fear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How do you overcome the fear? So first and foremost, Acknowledging the fear and acknowledging that that fear probably isn't logical, it's just something that's in the back of your head. And it's just something you've probably never had to go through. You're probably at a point in the deficit where you reached your goal. And now you're at a point where the next step is to increase calories. But if you're scared of it, chances are you've just never done it before. So the fear is the unknown because you don't know what's going to happen with your body composition. But I'm going to bring this back to the science. First and foremost, if you're in a deficit, if you raise calories just to a maintenance, you're not going to gain fat. So at the end of the day, first and foremost, you have to trust in the science of what you've learned and what you've researched or else I would um, suggest hiring a coach to help you through the process to make sure you're just doing things correctly so that you're setting yourself up on the right path that in itself will help eliminate the fear a little bit in my experience that's what I ended up doing and that's what helped me the most um, was working with somebody that knew exactly what they were doing and then it just comes down to being honest with yourself how do you feel inside of that calorie deficit chances are if you've been in it for a really long time you feel like shit your sleep might be bad you're probably really food focused you're grilling and hor- and your grilling and leptin levels are probably out of wax or so you're always hungry and you're never full and um it's just understanding that being healthy doesn't always mean eating less and sometimes become a healthier version of yourself. You have to eat more. So I don't feel like I answered that perfectly, but like that's the logical sense of, of what it takes to come out of it and what to expect. So I'd love to hear what, what you think, Jeremiah.
1: No, man, of course I agree a hundred percent. I would say again, if you're somebody that's never gone through this process before of actually, well, first of all, congratulations. If you're to the point where you need to raise calories for the first time ever, because that means for the first time ever, you actually got as lean as you wanted. Hope okay. I'm thinking that's what you mean. So from that point, I would say, if you've never gone through this process, hire a coach, exactly like you said, it's a couple month investment to actually learn how to sustain your results long-term. Like there's the statistics that are thrown around. Like, what is it? 95% of the people that lose weight, regain it all after three years. And 80% of those people regain more than they initially lost. Right. Again, like fat loss comes down to thermodynamics. Can we control calories? And of course we can get more in depth with like how to actually lose fat properly, but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But the point is like people lose weight all the time. People very rarely successfully keep weight off. Now also you have to realize this, this isn't because like keeping the weight off is that complex. It's just because people don't usually have a plan for the diet after the diet. So I was like, okay, the diet's over. I'm really hungry, so I don't. Maybe they don't feel like tracking anymore. I don't want to track all these metrics anymore. So I was gonna eat how it was before, which normally leads to people rebounding. So, like you said, first and foremost, I'm kind of getting distracted here from working through the fear. I kind of probably increasing the fear there actually, <laughs> but I'm promised I'm bringing this around. So, um. First and foremost, we need to look at the science here, like you said. And I think we talked about this like one or two podcasts ago as well. This is a question we get. We've gotten multiple times like similar to this. But Mm -hmm. when we're coming out of a calorie deficit, like we know to gain a single pound of fat, you need to eat 3,500 calories, approximately 3,500 calories more than your maintenance intake just to gain one pound of fat. So people often have this fear that like, and I've literally talked to clients for started their first diet break ever this week. So I've talked to a couple of people through this just recently, but we have this fear that like, okay, for the first time ever, like in the recent history for many people, like for what seems like years, I'm actually not trying to diet anymore, which is terrifying to most people just because it's a big change. So realizing that to gain a single pound of fat, you have to eat 3,500 calories more than maintenance. So, like, people have this fear that they'll eat, like, maybe at maintenance or 200 calories over and just gain, like, 10 pounds of fat overnight, which realistically we know, like, through the science, that can't happen. To gain five pounds of fat overnight, you would have to eat, like, a stupid amount, like, close to 20,000 calories extra. And that's not accounting for, like, all the regulative mechanisms with your metabolism that would potentially like prevent you from gaining that much but pointy is just from like a scientific standpoint if you are still tracking your calories if you're still tracking metrics so two we have to make sure we're tracking like body weight body measurements still things like that and seeing how your body is changing because again like if you're not tracking all these things after the diet then we can't again get in the situation where it's like and i think this is most often where it happens where like people in a diet and they're like i'm not gonna touch the scale for like four weeks, or I'm not going to measure myself for four weeks of track macros. Then it can be easy to like lie to yourself about where you're at. Are you actually regressing? What's your intake? So you do still need to look at the numbers, I would say. And then just, I know we've talked about the actual process of like how we would reverse diet somebody up, but basically like to be safe, increase your calories to about 90% of your maintenance from there, like gradually bump by 50 to hundred calories, depending on how your measurements adjust. But yeah, like the biggest thing that you said look at the science of it like scientifically you would have to eat a shit ton to gain even a couple pounds of fat overnight or even in a couple weeks so like make sure your food selection is staying pretty similar to what it was on the diet you're focusing on lots of protein lots of fiber mostly filling foods so like just follow the rule of thumb 80 percent whole foods 20 percent flexible foods another thing is like if you switch your food choices up a lot from what they were on the diet. It would be harder, but you're just eating more of mostly the same foods you were before. And yeah, from there, like if you're doing that, you're tracking your body measurements. You know exactly how your body is changing. Then you still are very much in control of all these different factors. You don't have to worry about putting on a ton of fat overnight. I'm sorry, that was so long also.
0: No, man, that was good. That You you nailed it. I'm going through this with a um, one client in particular at the moment too. And her biggest adjustment was just that my goal is no longer fat loss. Like my goal, I've either always been either trying to lose fat or I've been in the Definitely. effort mentality and just like not caring and, and gaining weight. And so, um, it's a weird place to be where you're still tracking, you're still working out, you're still on point with everything, but now the goal isn't fat loss. Like what the hell am I doing? Like it, it just right. puts you in this weird spot. But the, the only reason it's weird is because it's new. That means you've progressed to the point where you've earned that diet break, which is awesome. Congratulations. Just like Jeremiah said, that is a good point to be in. Um, so it might just be time to look at switching your goal. Like that's what you need to do is you need to have a goal that isn't fat loss based for whatever time period you're going to be at that maintenance. Is it putting on muscle to potentially end up in a slight surplus? I already know you're you're scared to come back up to a maintenance. So, that might not be perfect at first. I wouldn't worry about that, but maybe it's just getting stronger. Maybe it's performance based. Maybe right. you want to get a certain amount of pull ups or you want to bench press a certain amount of weight or squat a certain amount of weight or, or something like that. Just giving yourself something different to look forward to is key. I know whenever I come out of a diet phase, um, I'm super excited to start training again, right? Because you're feeling right. better. Oh, That's yeah. what you're going to feel too. You're going to have better pumps in the gym. You're going to be way stronger. You're going to have more energy. So, look at the positives and just understand that. Are you going to gain a little bit of weight? Absolutely. But just like Jeremiah said, it takes 3,500 calories extra over your maintenance to put on one pound of fat. That's not just 3,500 calories. That means your maintenance plus 3,500 calories. So as long as you're smart, if you do hire a coach, that will help even more to help you be more confident. But if not, just come back up close to a maintenance, eat there for a little bit, expect a little bit of weight gain right up front due to glycogen, sodium, um, extra food volume in your stomach, two to three pounds. And from there, your weight should fluctuate within a pound to two pounds over every single week. And you'll know you're close to, to your maintenance and you're not gaining, you're not losing, you're just holding on to, to where you're at. So yeah.
1: I I truly think the most valuable piece of coaching is actually the least sexy but most valuable piece is actually coaching people through maintenance because that's the most foreign thing for most people is like, again, like so many people have tried diets before people like really more or less know how to lose weight. But the idea of like, what does my lifestyle need to look like to maintain this long term after I'm not working with a coach anymore, I think is the most valuable piece we can give people again, it's not normally like the most sexy thing, but I know we've talked about this before too. Like when clients start and leave after like three months, maybe they've achieved their outcome, but we haven't had time to like, okay, we know you have all the habits in place to cement Mm -hmm. this. That's a lot more concerning because again, like so much of it is like understanding the mindset of maintenance. Like what does my life really need to look like to be able to keep these results long-term now that I've achieved them?
0: Yeah. And that's hard too, because you can't go out as a business. You can't go out as a coach and market yourself that I'm going to show you how to maintain. You know what I mean? Nobody gives a shit. about. So it's something that you're putting in their ear as they're dieting. Like, maintenance is coming, maintenance is coming, maintenance is coming, but it's not something you've talked a ton about. And maybe we do that as a disservice. Maybe that should become more of a, a new norm is talking more about it. But again, it's a business, people don't care about it. So you have to you have to portray yourself to people's needs and and help them with what they want help with and then show them what they actually need help with throughout the process too. So it's an interesting place, but that is where you're exactly right. That's the most valuable piece to coaching is teaching people the process of maintenance. But most people just don't even think about it until they're actually there too. So, so right.
1: Right. And that's where to like the, like have saying like, okay, we have these primary phases. We have this diet breaks. We have this whole nutritional periodization model makes it sound super sexy but essentially too it's like we're teaching you how to maintain right of course there's like more nutritional periodization than that but like i think as coaches too that's part of like again when we're talking about buy-in like making it exciting for your clients as opposed to like hey (laughs) like we're just gonna just hang out here like you know like like you said we have goals for the maintenance phase. still. like, okay, focus on training performance. Like, how do you feel? How are your pumps? Things like that. I think that's super important again to like keep people bought into the process.
0: Mm -hmm. And it is, it's definitely a process. It's, it's more than just fat loss. The hard part is maintaining fat loss is easy, right? It's easier at least than than actual maintaining. So, so yeah, I think we crushed that one. Moving on. When I do dips, the front of my shoulder hurts. How do I correct this?
1: so this one i would say one i would have to see their form really i think the biggest thing for most people is if they're getting a lot of movement so i really there's some debate about like how much you should retract or depress your scapula but generally when you're doing dips just thinking keeping shoulders pulled together and back or back and down slightly is a good idea basically that just keeping your scapula retracted and depressed like that just keeps your shoulder joint in a safer position for pressing. Whereas if you're getting a lot of movement at the shoulders, it's likely a lot harder on your shoulder joint. So like with dips, I would say that's probably the most common issue. I would also say you could look at your range of motion because it could be like the top half of a dip is gonna be a lot more stress on our triceps. When we're really getting like a deep, deep, deep stretch, that's when stress is gonna to go to a shoulder joint. It's almost like if we look at like a floor press, like a floor press is a lot easier on the shoulders because we're really taking that range of motion where our, we get a lot of movement through the shoulders. Like it's a lot more so your triceps and your elbows extending. Of course, you're also extending out the shoulder joint, but it's less stressful on the shoulder. So, I would really look at that that's also though just a hard one to like neither of us can say for sure because we can't like actually see your form but typically in cases like this again it's normally anytime your shoulders are aching it comes back to like how well are you able to move your scapula or basically like what does your back training look like you have the ability to retract and depress your shoulder blades and really keep them in a stable position. Cause often like when I see this, like people come in and they complain about the shoulders hurting the actual root. Isn't like their shoulder training, but like when they're doing rows, we're not getting any movement through the scapula at all. No movement through the shoulder blades. It's kind of like shoulders are still rounded forward and it's really turning more into just like a bicep focused row. And again, it's more focused on shoulder joint. So what I would say there is actually like, look at when you're rowing how well are you able to like retract your shoulder blade how much movement can you get there and then you might just not be doing enough work for your upper back your upper back your lower traps your rhomboids rear delts all these are really like the foundation for strong healthy shoulders so a lot of times like if this is a dude asking this dudes are a lot more guilty and i've definitely been there of like benching pressing every day to doing a lot of shit for the delson chest but very little for the upper back which can lead to us being a lot more anterior dominant and in turn our shoulders are just never very stable which can lead to some pain so um that's my thoughts
0: yeah, for sure. With the um, with the dip as well, when you're at the, the bottom half of that position, just like you mentioned, and that's what I was going to say when I initially saw this question, was the range of motion in a dip, it can put your shoulder at that bottom half in a vulnerable position right. as you're on that bottom half. And so one way to correct that a little bit, and I found is just to tilt, I don't know how to explain it through a podcast, but just to tilt your body forward so you're not creating as much of that stretch on the shoulder at the bottom half of the movement right. and that can help but um even if you do that too and you're feeling pain in your shoulders from doing dips maybe dips just aren't the right move for you as well and maybe you should just look at doing another form of a press if you're doing it for i like to do dips for a lot of chest honestly i like that bottom half mm-hmm. of the movement cuz i can feel it really really well and it's hitting a good amount of uh, tricep at the top half as well, just like Jeremiah mentioned. But if that movement hurts, um, for me, a good general rule of thumb, if I'm doing an exercise and it doesn't feel good or I'm causing pain, I switch exercises. I, right. No, you know what I mean? I just switch exercises and move on to something else. Cause if this exercise is going to injure me, it's not benefiting me in the long run. I'd rather do an exercise where I can still feel a good mind to muscle connection, but I feel no pain in so that they'll cause the, the chance of injury is much less so that I can train for longer when it comes to training, staying injury free is the most important aspect to your training so you can go for a longer period of time, obviously and so just being cautious and if something hurts um, jeremiah Jeremiah pointed out everything as far as the form goes, and he's one hundred percent correct, but if you're trying those things and you you've given it an honest effort and it still hurts, maybe just look at doing a different sort of a pressing exercise um, and move on from it but that would be my opinion
1: and, and suggestion yeah for sure and i would make, i would also say like one more thing on the form. just focus i like what you said about leaning forward there too making it more like a chest focused dip but um focusing on like staying in your active range of motion versus passive so like if you think of okay. like a squat if you put a barbell on your back that shit could literally like push your butt to touching the floor but is that actually the active range of motion the range of motion you can can control or is it just the weight of the bar like pushing you down and your body's kind of collapsing same thing on the dips like you can probably just let your body drop lower than what you can actually control with like a ton of tension through your chest and maybe triceps and a bit of shoulders but make sure it's actively like you're actively controlling the range of motion instead of just like trying to let your body drop as deep as you can without necessarily maintaining control
0: yeah, 100%. I I agree with all
1: of that. Oh, all right. So next question I have, what are your morning routines like?
0: Morning routines. My morning routine that I try to stick to, we'll talk to you about that one, but <laughs> it doesn't always happen. Um, usually I get up first thing in the morning. Um, it's a glass, like right when I wake up, it's a glass of water. And then from the glass of water, I go straight into journaling and I write out if I'm having negative thoughts, I write out all of my negative thoughts. If I have positive thoughts, I write out all of my positive thoughts and then I try to write down something that I'm thankful for. And then I write down my to-do list all in the journal. First thing in the morning, I always I talk about with my clients about this too, is what this does for me and what I've found it does for a lot of them too, is if you have negative thoughts in your head, it gets those negative thoughts out of your brain so they're not stuck in and you're actively trying to contemplate them all day. It right. makes you self-aware of those thoughts, which can help you remove those thoughts. You, you've thought through them, you've written them out, you're able to think through them. Is this legitimate? Am I just causing myself extra anxiety that's not needed? And then if you move into something that's thankful, it gives you something positive positive. For the day, it gives you some sort of uplifting something positive that you might have had to force out of your brain, but at least it's out and now it's got you in a little bit of a positive light to get going through the day so you've dumped out the negative you have put down the positive and then you can write out your to do list. And from there, I just find that I'm in the most productive space to get the shit done that I need to get done. It puts me in a positive mood. If I'm doing check-ins for clients, it puts me in a creative mood. If I'm doing Instagram posts or whatever, if I'm making content, podcasts, Instagram, whatever it may be, it puts me in a good space for that. And then from there, I usually, I like to go into um, either emailing clients or creating content. I like to create in the morning because that's when I'm usually the most creative. So that's how my morning routine works. It might not be perfect, but uh, it's what I try to do for the most
1: part. Okay, I love it. I love it, and I mean that's pretty similar. I, I love stuff like this. So and coffee. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> I always that coffee. No, coffee, hard.
0: coffee with right after the water. It's it's um coffee as I'm drinking. But anyway, I cut you off. Sorry for
1: Oh, coffee. you're good. No, I was I was surprised that that wasn't part of that. So <laughs> for a long time, I was just trying to. I was straight up trying to do too much. Like there's so many things I want to do with my morning routine, and it was just getting to the point where it's like. Two hours long, which is way, way, way too much to actually do super consistently. So, right now, what I do is I wake up right out of the gate, I will have some caffeine, and the first 30 minutes of my day are studying. So, right now, well, honestly, for like the next year, this is going to be taking up all my studying time. I'm going through Mac nutrition. So, just I just sit there, they have like these video lectures, kind of wake up, drink my caffeine, take notes on that. That's my first 30 minutes, hop in the shower quick. Um, I always have to set a timer like on my phone outside of the shower otherwise I'll just take a stupid long showers so I'll <laughs> take an eight minute shower hop out and then I will normally eat like some Greek yogurt blueberries oatmeal and uh, lately I've been working through I was big on journaling and I normally I like what you said about writing a list of things to, to do I like to do that the night before like the last thing I do before I go to bed that always helps really like calm my mind a bit and not have so much anxiety about the next day or like oh man is there something I'm forgetting you know the feeling so from there um I used to like to journal lately I've been doing something called the stack so have you heard of wake up warrior I've heard of it I
0: don't know a a ton I just heard of it um through like Cody's content a bit of of what he talks about with it and I talked to him a little bit about it on our podcast but
1: that was really it okay okay yeah so it's basically it reminds me a lot of journaling it's very therapeutic it takes you through like this whole series of questions so like the start is the darkness so it's basically just like whatever is the biggest thing on your mind that's pissing you off you're frustrated you're sad about like person or event it takes you through this whole series of questions about like the story you're telling yourself around the event and then like okay is this really true you identify like it's really cool, man. It goes from, like, <laughs> again, it starts with the darkness. It goes all the way to, like, the light. Okay, so, like, what are the action steps you took from this? And, like, it takes you – I don't know if you've ever seen, like, the positive focus thing. I I know I made a post about it a while back. But, like, that's actually one little piece of it. It's pretty long. It's, like, 30 questions, So which is why I eliminated, really, like, journaling. But mm-hmm. it's really been effective for replacing it for me. And It then sounds it, like
0: the same thing, basically. It, it is. It's not processed.
1: It is very much, like, journaling, but it's more – focused Focused. right more it's like more structured journaling but yeah man that's that has been super helpful for me i so i study do that that takes me about 20 minutes then i will go on a 20 minute walk and listen to like an audiobook personal development podcast something like that for the first like 15 last five i'll just kind of walk think try to reflect send out an appreciative text so like Love or appreciate, I have to include that. i Send one of those to somebody in my network, which normally is my girl, but send that out and then try to start my day by eight.
0: Yeah, your uh, your morning's way more sophisticated than mine. I get up and I got a little I love bit of anxiety, like that, and I'm like, bam, 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 get a few things done and and right into the work because that's where I, like I said, that's where like I'm the most creative in the morning, you know. So like, right, for some reason I, and it's probably a bad thing, honestly. Like I. I like the thought of like taking time, like to get started and reflect and like study and listen to something uplifting and and go through that. But like, I wake up and it's like, Oh shit. Like I got to go. And it's probably, honestly, it's not the greatest. You're the product of, of like working with somebody that helps you structure your day. You know what I mean? And I haven't really gone through that. And so, um, that's probably why. And definitely something that I, I should probably look at improving, but. But yeah, I have a heart. like I wake up and I'm not going to sit there and watch something when I feel like I got a million things in my head. Like I need to do this and this and this and this. <laughs> but, yeah. I
1: get it. And honestly though, that was, it probably helps you be more productive though too. It does. That's the yeah. thing for me. I recognize that because I get it where you're coming from. Cause I always wake up like, especially Monday mornings, which is my check-in day, you know, yeah. I, do you get like anxiety around your check-ins? Like, whew, man, Sunday <laughs> I, I night is done. Right. Oh yeah. yeah Sunday I, night. I like Sunday night sleep is always (laughs) which i i love it too but it's like such an anxious feeling of like what is going to be in my inbox you know what i mean yeah
0: because you don't know like this isn't talking crap or anything but you don't know if it's going to Mondays can go two ways. It's either a hell storm where you're putting out fires everywhere or else it's like the most amazing Monday and you're like, wow, I'm helping all these people change exactly. their lives and things are going great. But you, like, it's like playing a slot machine. You don't know which one you're going to get <laughs> exactly. every Monday morning. It can go either really, really good or um, it can be a di- not full of stress or bad, but just – um, a lot more to deal with, I guess, because it takes a lot emotionally out of you to, you right. have to put all of yourself into one person and their issues and their problems and help them through it. And then work through that with 20, 30, 40 people in right. a day. And it can be exhausting.
1: Right. And that's very much what I was finding was if I would wake up, first thing I would do is like, cause I a hundred, a hundred percent get where you're coming from. But the first thing I would do was like check my email and it was like, which like, we are so out of control of what goes on in other people's lives right so like Absolutely. if something bad happen to a client and like oh man yesterday was so shitty like i just had whatever happened to me then the rest of my emails for the day are like like the rest of my client interactions are like right away that just sets the tone for like the mood i'm gonna be in for the day whereas like it's this whole like for me at least is very much like i need to proactively like create like okay, how am I going to deal with everything today? And then when stuff like that comes up, I can so much better manage it. And like you said, it does make me more efficient, more effective than like, if I wake up and just right away hop into my email. That said, though, I think that it does get taken too far as far as like, everybody needs to have like this exact morning routine. I think it's very much like what works for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and being honest, even with what I said, there's days where I won't do that and I'll wake up and the first thing I'll do is open my Instagram. And I look at it like what what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like when I'm even laying in bed and so right. and when I have days like that where I constantly gravitate to something out of my control, just like Jeremiah said, I'm at the mercy of whatever's out there. Right. But if you start your day under your control and you control what you consume and what you think and what you're writing, then it puts you in a more, a better tone for the day to go out and, and conquer the day with a more positive mindset that you're in control of instead of like combating everything that's coming at you. So, so I like that.
1: Okay. Okay. Dope. Um, So soon dude, got to get on this. I like it. The morning Um, routine. What's that?
0: The morning routine—is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, you said you need to work with somebody to get you, um get you more on point with this.
0: I know. Yes, yes, you are 100% right. I, I do. I was actually, yeah, I do. We'll talk about that off. <laughs> I, I just do. knew we talked about this after our last.
1: <laughs> we talked about this after our last podcast too, so I was just gonna keep pushing you. But anyways, no, you're. Uh, what's your next?
0: You're, you're 100% right, and yeah, you're 100% right. All right. Next one, I'm gonna still we both have the same um similar <laughs> question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. What do you each see yourself or where do you each see yourself in five years? Goals, personal development, etc.
1: All right. So in five years towards as as the business, I'm gonna have a team of coaches under me. I wanna I wanna be able to reach more people, but like we both know, you can only scale one on one coaching by yourself so far like if I had 200 clients myself I wouldn't be able to give anybody the service that I want so I think the next step is definitely I know the next step is bringing coaches on underneath me I can train them I can help oversee their clients as well as coach my own clients that's just a cool way to create bigger impact I love creating content too so again I think it's just finding ways to do that on a bigger scale again bringing on team to Maybe I have a content guy. Um, Yeah, as far as, and honestly, I don't think, I think it's still very much coaching, right? Like, I I love coaching. And I think in some capacity, I know in some capacity, I'm going to be involved in coaching for the rest of my life, right? So I think it's just finding ways to expand, reach more people, which I think for me, the next step is building a team, just continuing to grow the podcast, create more impact with that and finding ways to create more and better content. Um, outside of that, man, as far as the business goes, I I don't really, like, that's what I want, you know? Mm-hmm. I just wanna k- keep impacting more people. That's the most fulfilling thing to me. Mm, personal development. I wanna continue to grow my confidence, for sure. That's always the biggest thing for me that I'm always focusing on, and so much of this goes hand in hand. That's the thing. It's hard to like even split it up into these different categories. Again, though, I think it's so much just like continuing down the path we're going down, right? Like the podcast continue to put yourself out there. Um, yeah, man, I wish I had a more clear answer on that actually. No, I'm, I'm super similar
0: to that though too. Um, for me as Most of you know if you listen, or if you're coming from my podcast, you know that I own a gym. And at the moment, we started out with like 2,000 square feet. Um, we've expanded to like 3,500 square feet. We're in the process of looking at going even bigger to with potentially in the next year or so, I'll be in like an 8,000 to 10,000 square foot facility that we're looking at right now. That so that's like the immediate goal that's happening. Um, as far as the gym side of things goes, is actually purchasing a building. And then with that, looking at getting into real estate a little bit with that. So like with the investments from the gym, putting um, like tenants and other spaces in the gym and and building out like an investment side of that as far as that goes. But as far as like online goes, uh, it's just continuing to build it. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know for sure moving forward if I want to bring coaches on underneath of me. I've, I've talked to Jeremiah too a little bit that I'm Looking at potentially adding on like a membership type site instead, right. something like that. But like immediately, I just want to completely fill up the one-to-ones and it's almost there. I don't know how expansive I want to get with that and how many people I want to take on. Because the more people you take on, um, the less of your time that you have to give to each one. And that's a super important thing that we both have talked about. That's There's a fine line there. I think that what you can do for yourself and then, yeah, it's just figuring that out as far as the business side of the online coaching goes if it goes to a membership site if it's going to bringing coaches on underneath of me we'll figure that out and that's something that's constantly on my mind that i'm working through day in and day out to really figure out but then with the podcast continuing to grow that too um that's probably my favorite form And, and like jeremiah said content content is the reason that i do this job honestly i love creating and And posting content helping people in that sense so continuing to scale that and with the media guy i've thought about the exact same thing of potentially bringing somebody on to help with like the media side of everything in that sense and then just like jeremiah with personal development i think the biggest thing for me there is um becoming more vulnerable and being okay being more vulnerable and to me all that means is just Being more of myself to everybody and just accepting it and not caring if anybody else accepts it or not, but just being comfortable in my own skin. And I think that's something that we're always going to work on. But what I found, the more comfortable that I am, and like the more that I just let myself be me and not judge myself, the more connection I'm able to create with others and the more impact I'm going to be able to have in the long term. So that's something that I'm super conscious of every single day is not being scared to try new things and not worry about what other people are going to think of the actions that I'm taking and just being comfortable with me, basically to be able to try new things and not be scared of doing those so that I can create more impact and be more authentic with people. um, The older that I get to be more relatable and help as many people as I can. So pretty similar to yours for the most part.
1: I think with, personal development like we talked about before we're both like very much on the same like thought process there let me ask you this then man all right so we've talked super deep about like personal development goals impacting other people's goals what are like your like fun shared goals like dope things you want to have or because i feel like 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 when people ask questions like this it's so easy to get into like everyone knows like the impact we love to create like helping other people, but past like that, like what's the cool stuff? Like from the success you create, what do you want to be able to do with your own life? What are the things you want to have? Things like that.
0: I like that. So um, I honestly, I'm a very, very simple person. Like I just have a little, um, I grew up in a family that had had some money. So like I was always pretty well taken care of. I was able to drive like nice cars and, I lived in a nice home with my, with my dad and, and these things. And it was awesome. But as I got a little bit older and got out on my own and, and started doing my own stuff, I realized how much more I enjoy a simple life. You know what I mean? So like, there's not a lot of crazy stuff out there that I need. Like I don't have this dream house that I'm looking to purchase someday. I'd rather have small houses all over, like for the adventure to go to like a vacation home and different things like that. But the one thing that I really, really want and I am going to get is a Jeep truck.
1: Okay. I like it.
0: Have you seen the Jeep trucks? Oh yeah. No, we were just looking the
1: other day actually.
0: Were you? Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, like the one thing in the future that I am for sure going to have is a Jeep truck. And then um, a couple of vacation homes for sure. Like again, I don't need a big, nice home. Build a house with my wife. We talked about that. We'll probably do that in the next five years or so. Honestly, have a Jeep truck. And then in the, the, Later future have like a couple of vacation homes around different places and things like that. But again, like I'm very, very simple. Like I've had nice Jeeps in the past. I've had nice jacked up um, trucks. I've had brand new motorcycles that are all decked out. I've had boats, like all the fun stuff and it's cool. But like, I feel like I've done it all and I've realized that that's not really what makes me happy. You know what I mean? And so I I like what makes me happy is honestly running business, spending time with my wife and daughter and, and personal development. So that's like super boring. I know, but like <laughs> I have this stuff because I'm just super simple. Like that's what I base my life around. And, and so, yeah, what about you? I'd love to
1: know that too. And yeah, no, I,
0: if it's more extravagant, I hope it is. Cause I'm, I'm boring
1: as shit. So yeah, tell me, please.
0: I'm for sure.
1: You're going to have the G wagon someday.
0: My wife loves the G wagon.
1: Um, and then, outside of that, um, for sure, a dope house. I We love Scottsdale so much. So, house in the mountains, or on a mountain in Scottsdale. I wish there was more water here, too, because I love, like, lake houses, things like that. Mm-hmm. But there's not really, like, just lakes around that you can build a house on. So, um, and then outside of that, man, it's really, like, just the ability to travel a lot. More so like my girl really loves to travel. I know that makes her super happy. I love traveling, I love going places, but I think our idea of like like I love to go places and it's like still like do some work, things like that. Because similar to what you said, like I think we're very similar in like the things that make us happy are like growth, right? Yeah. And, and work, like exactly. <laughs> exactly. It
0: sounds terrible, but yeah.
1: But I also think I don't think that's like a, I don't think it's terrible. I think it's important to understand. I was actually kind of a side tangent here, but I was emailing a client about this the other day, like, and this is probably controversial, but I think that like, for some people, it's important to understand, like, I know for me, for the longest time, I was struggling to like, why don't the things that other, why don't just like hanging out and like watching Netflix or whatever, like, this is all I'm doing. And I'm like, super unhappy. Like, why don't these things that seem to make other people so happy, like things that make you comfortable, don't make me happy. And I think like a lot of people get almost too caught up in, I don't know how to put this properly, but like too caught up in like, oh, it's okay. Like just love and accept yourself no matter what, which, okay, that that sounds messed up, but like it's okay to also expect a lot of yourself, push yourself a Mm -hmm. lot. And like if working and like accomplishing things is what gives you a sense of fulfillment as opposed to just like, I don't know how to say this without this just just, you you, just say it. We can you know get where I'm going, going from.
0: After. Yeah, absolutely. man. Okay. 100%. So like if
1: a con- like, I think for some people like just chasing a more comfortable lifestyle is what makes them happy. And that's mm-hmm. great. But also I think that a lot of times people that are like set very high goals and accomplish a lot and achieve a lot, get too caught up in like the think like other people saying like, I need to just like love and accept myself and just be content no matter what. And I think like, I know for me, that was like my line of thinking. And then I was like very unhappy for the longest time. I couldn't figure out why, like, because I was like, why am I not okay with myself when I'm not like doing more, accomplishing more. So very convoluted. I don't know if I'd Mm -hmm. butcher that at all. Does that make sense at all? No, it, it absolutely makes sense. And just to feed off of that a little bit, like
0: I mentioned that I really want a Jeep truck, right? I could go buy a Jeep truck. Like this <laughs> not being concrete. I could go buy a Jeep truck today, right. but the, the cool thing about and what I've learned is like actually getting it. Isn't the fun part or the accomplishment right. to me. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like having that goal to chase towards once you have it, then like I have it, I'm going to treat it like crap. It's always going to be dirty and I'm not going to oh, say I appreciate it much more sitting on the lot, and like, I'm going to buy that one day. Like I, I don't necessarily what I know I need to accomplish to buy it. It's just the thought of, you know what I mean? It's just the thought oh, of like 100%. having something cool to work towards. Um, that keeps me going. Cause once I have it, I don't appreciate it. I remember when I wanted 20 coaching clients, I remember like sitting around like thinking <laughs> how cool Oh, dude! when I had 20 coaching clients, like shit was going to be made. I was going to be, good to go and i was going to be happy and i was going to feel right. like successful and this whole thing worked out just like i had hoped i got to 20 clients i was like i need 40. Like, <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah you should sit down and, and appreciate a little bit more but in in my brain i'm not that way and so as i've gotten older and started to learn more about myself i've started to realize that the the chasing is a lot more fun so like i don't have a ton of things sorry my sonos my gin's about to turn on let me turn oh it. you're good so, yeah, the chasing is much f- more fun to me than actually the having. So I make the chase probably a lot longer than it actually needs to be. Does that make sense? No. I'm kind no. of feeding off of what you were saying. I love but-
1: it. I love it again, man. I think it's just understanding for both of us that growth is the thing that makes us happiest, right? And I think mm-hmm. that I think that if you don't understand that for yourself, it'll be hard to ever, like, feel very fulfilled at least from my own personal experience it was that's that's really what i was trying to say yeah
0: absolutely i couldn't agree more i think that's um um a good conversation to have you can get super super deep into all of that but but yeah a g-wagon huh
1: oh yeah that's that's
0: I, (laughs) i was gonna say too traveling is one of um our big ones too we just got back from a little road trip up through idaho and, right. and back down which was super fun my wife absolutely loves traveling so that's something that's huge in our future too and the reason why we don't love to spend a ton just like on the the day-to-day things um is because we like to use that money and have freedom to go wherever we want which is super cool about this kind of job and running your your own businesses and, and whatnot as it gives you that freedom to be able to do that it doesn't necessarily mean like you can live on a beach and, and, <laughs> and like everybody tries to portray but but Hard. the flexibility and everything of it makes it very worth it
1: no 100 percent. i will say it's super hard to see your laptop screen if you're on a beach or like sitting in poolside trying to work but. yeah
0: like i didn't even get on my laptop while i was gone to be honest like i really? used my phone a little bit but i yeah i just took a few days and told <laughs> myself i would but didn't really you know what i mean which yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. it's hard <laughs> to work tough. and travel we yeah. were in cancun and i was i was working i was trying to work poolside and one of the one of the employees there would. He's like, what are you doing, amigo? Yeah. <laughs> Dude just would not leave me alone. I was like, bro, I'm trying to write a blog on reverse dieting. Now. Just let me be. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, I don't think we can go more in depth on that. Yeah, I,
0: I think we crushed that one.
1: What What do you got next?
0: Are you, Is that all your questions?
1: Yeah, mine. I also had the 5 year one.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, similar question. Here's one that's relevant. I've got two more that we can okay. just um, – are you good with that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. One of our, the first one is are banded workouts actually beneficial, which is relevant to today. I think so.
1: Yeah. So for sure. I mean, muscles are dumb, right? Like they don't Absolutely. know if you're lifting a, they don't know if you're lifting a dumbbell or a band and a backpack that's loaded full of books. All they experience is tension. so as far as like building muscle goes, as long as within any movement pattern or muscle you're training, you can achieve like you can get relatively close to failure. So let's say like one to three reps that effective rep range to be able to fatigue the muscle enough. Again, it doesn't matter if it's like via a band or a dumbbell or a barbell, your muscles not out here. Like, okay, this isn't a barbell, so I'm not going to grow. So bands are absolutely effective of course like when we're talking about creating enough overload to like it's gonna be hard to like load a load a heavy deadlift with a band right like it's gonna be hard to emulate what we could create with like a heavy trap bar, a heavy barbell but as long as we can find some ways which like i know everybody listening to this has seen tons and tons of super creative like here's how we continue to train at home Spawn over creative in, in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> sometimes too creative but <laughs> But the point is, like, as long as you can still, you can still create tension. So, yeah, I mean, literally, it could be whatever you want to lift. And as long as you can create equal tension in the muscles that you're trying to train, then you can still create growth.
0: Absolutely. I think um, when it comes to banded work, the situation that we've all been in to use them for, like, a couple months, if, you've been, if you're more of an experienced trainee, um, a couple months, is it effective? It's absolutely much more effective than not training at all. Right. It's going to at least help you be able to maintain or you gonna be able to create a ton of progressive overload. The more advanced you are, I think the little bit harder and tricky that's going oh, to yeah. become as a beginner to intermediate within your first year or two of training, or if you're brand new to training bands can be extremely effective. I have some beginners that I'm working with right now who have like some, I think they have five to 15 pound dumbbells. I sent them a couple bands. Um, And they're making great progress right Right. now. They're able to create that progression each and every single week and and see great results from it. But then again, for like, as you get more experience, it's gonna be a little bit harder to keep progressing. You can absolutely maintain. So like for a, a two to three month time period, like we're all going through right now, I'd much rather see you using bands to hold on to and maintain your um, muscle mass and potentially some of your strength throughout the process um, to get you through this. But is it something like I would prescribe to you? No, it's absolutely right. not ideal. But again, for beginners that don't want to train at a gym, I, I if they sign up with me, I'll send them some bands. And if they have a couple of dumbbells, I can make a program work for 12, 24, even 36 weeks um, just with bands and see great progress doing so. So, so, so yeah.
1: 100% and that's what I don't think that like if either of us had to choose our like okay you have this training equipment to use for the rest of your life I don't think it would be bands for either of us but again like if you only have light dumbbells they can help increase your resistance like, I have the same thing I have like some more beginnerish clients that just have like 5, 10, 15 dumbbells so we've been using and we've like been adding bands to those same. to continue to increase resistance but you made a super good point there as you get, like, more intermediate to advanced, I'm sorry, my text thing keeps going off. As you get more intermediate to advanced, um, like, tracking your overload gets more and more important. And, like, it's so much harder to gauge, like, the amount of resistance you're experiencing if it's just a band, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like for, like, more, like, intermediate to advanced trainers, trainees, it's more like using bands to alter the resistance profile of a movement. So, for example, like, If we're just like trying to get jacked quads, we know the best way to do that is to fatigue the muscle through the fullest range of motion possible. So like if you look at a leg press, like the bottom half is much harder than the top half. So we're really only like fully fatiguing about half of the range of motion that we could be. But like if you do like a banded leg press, which is something that I used to think was so dumb, but now actually like that I have a deeper understanding of this, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like that makes the top half of the movement a lot harder too. So, a lot of movement patterns for like, I think, and this is like where the application for bands for more intermediate to advanced people is like making, like evening out that resistance profile. So, you're creating more stimulus with each rep. I think that's smart. But yeah, that's really, I think, our thoughts on bands.
0: Absolutely. And just to, that, that doesn't mean like for an advanced to intermediate training that I wouldn't use bands. I use bands in my own training now right. still sometimes a lot of banded pull aparts and all even do banded lateral raises and, and different things like that um, that are for smaller muscle groups, but like, I'm not going to go and try and do a chest press with bands or, or squats right. or good mornings with a ton of band work, but they, they still have their place even in an intermediate to advanced trainees program, even when you have access to, um, an entire gym at the same time. Like I said, I train in my own facility. So right now I've still been able to train in the gym and I still use bands in, in my own training sessions at the moment too. So they absolutely can work if it's all that you have available. Um, no matter what, it's going to be better than just using body weight because you can create a lot more resistance that way. So for sure.
1: hundred percent. I love it, dude. All
0: right. I got one more. Ready?
1: Yep. Let's get it.
0: for For bulking it's kind of confused for bulking. If maintenance is at 2,600, should I eat 2,800? Or if I burn 2,800 cows, should I eat 3,000? So I think they're a little bit like they're saying if my, if I think my maintenance is 2,600, should I eat 2,800? But if for some reason I burn in a day, 2,800 calories, should I then eat 3,000 calories? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So it it sounds like maybe they day to day. Okay. So it sounds like maybe they have like a, a watch that tells them about how many calories they burn.
0: Most likely.
1: I would, I mean, the reality is like, I'm, I, that's the only situation where that really makes sense. So I would say like in that case, the reality is they just don't track calories burned very accurately. What I would do is like set one maintenance and I, like for most of us across the course of a week, our movements going to be very similar. So I would say like I would track your steps and set a calories burned try to keep your steps like whatever within the general range they fall in so mine's like six to eight thousand per day like you know if you moved a ton okay maybe you moved like an extra 30,000 steps this week okay you probably burned a lot more calories but I would just like try to keep your steps in a relative range set what you estimate is your maintenance from there like when I'm talking about bulking um I like like a I'd say at least a 10% surplus. I think also with one of the mistakes I've made with bulking in the past is like trying to stay too lean. And I think that which it might, this might be what he's scared of. Like people too, like tiptoe the line between like being right at maintenance or even being in a deficit and actually eating more and building too much to where now I'm not at all saying you should do like the dreamer, like dirty bulk, but That's like, what, yeah, <laughs> I think it's smart to be closer to like, uh, somewhere in like the 10 to 20 percent range, just to make sure you're in a surplus. So what I would do is just like just like always like if you're tracking metrics, you're tracking how your body's changing, you're looking at your gym performance, you're looking at hunger and cravings, which should be super low. you know your movement's relatively consistent. Then from there you'll be able to adjust, like, okay, am I not? Am I not? And also we want a slow rate of weight gain. So I'd say like, if you're not gaining. percent of your body weight plus so like 0.5 to 1 percent of your body weight per week and i'd err for most like intermediate to advanced people i definitely err closer to like that 0.5 percent of your body weight per week one percent is one percent is pretty aggressive for most people outside of like just beginners but um i would err closer to that and then like that's what you're adjusting your maintenance off of like am i gaining weight am i not gaining weight am i hungry am i not hungry because you shouldn't if you're bulking past unless you're like well, if you went through a proper maintenance phase post-dieting, this wouldn't be an issue. But given you're not just coming like directly out of the diet into a bulk, you shouldn't be super hungry at this point. You should see performance increase. You should see numbers increasing. And you should see weight increasing again. Like I would say probably 025 to 0.5% of your body weight per week is a better metric for like more intermediate to advanced people. If that's not happening, that's what you increase calories off of, not like the amount of calories that your Fitbit tells you you're burning.
0: So about one percent per month, roughly. Yeah. One to yeah, one and percent. a half percent per month. Yeah, I agree. I think. Um, so initially, your your problem that you're making, thinking that like one day you burn a little bit more, you should so you should eat more. Your maintenance is an estimation your maintenance isn't like right. one set of numbers right so if you're trying to eat a little bit more than you burn every single day that's going to get very frustrating plus your calorie burned calculator whatever you're using your watch or anything chances are that that thing's off no matter what there's a lot of studies showing that those things are extremely things yeah extremely off due to a lot of, your your calorie expenditure every single day has a lot more to do with just your activity level it has to do with your hormones your dieting history a lot of different things that right the little is not paying attention to it could be pretty close, but it's not hundred percent accurate. So I wouldn't go off of that. Like Jeremiah said, paying attention to steps every single day is a really good one. I'm the same about six to 8,000 steps every single day, but, um, and just not focusing so much like on how many calories I burn that day. So I need to eat just a little bit more than that. Get consistent with the calorie intake that you think is a rough, a, a little bit of a surplus, try to gain around like 0.25% of body weight per week when it comes to, um, gaining, I like to look at it more in a monthly perspective than I do a weekly perspective because those small little increments can be kind of hard to be able to really gauge off of. So I like to look at bulks through like monthly weight gain rather than right. a weekly weight gain, but everybody's a little bit different, um, in that sense. But again, just get consistent. If you're gaining that around like 1% roughly per month, which for most people is going to be somewhere between. 0.75 to a beginner, potentially two or three pounds, maybe somewhere around there.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: um, if you're not gaining in that spectrum, then look at making adjustments to your calories, but don't adjust your calories depend for that day, depending on your activity level for that day, because it's just going to get confusing and turn into a bigger headache than it actually needs to be.
1: Right. I think that that's, a, that's an easier, like if you're trying to adjust every single day, that's an easier way to not make progress than if you're exactly. like- I like what you said about the monthly, like, I don't know why, but for some reason, I always break it down into like per week, we want to gain about this much, but also like makes
0: sense though, for sure.
1: But also if it's been like one week and you're, you haven't gained whatever 0.25, 0.5 pounds, but we know your hunger is low. Your performance is still good. You're still feeling great in the gym. We're probably not going to increase as long as you're not like losing weight and typically if it's like okay it's been two weeks and we're still not seeing any increases then that's when we're like okay it's time to adjust and like up the calories a bit
0: gaining gaining is a lot slower process than losing if you want to do it with minimal fat gain and so just like jeremiah said like you're not going to look i wouldn't make week-to-week adjustments i would at least go bi-weekly adjustments Mm -hmm. when gaining for for the most part for most individuals i would look at it over a little bit of a longer time frame than than just your week to week because a lot of things can happen with with fluctuations in your weight in a week compared to a longer span. So,
1: so yeah. Nope. Oh, I don't think I have anything else to add to that. I don't think we have any more questions, man. That was awesome, dude. That was, that was really good. That was a fun yeah. one.
0: For everybody that has listened, if you're, if you're still listening to this, first off we really appreciate you for doing so but if you have a name for us that we could name this little collab that we're going to do please at the first of um every month we're going to record the first tuesday of every month i think is what we we decided on wasn't it so these will probably come out like the first thursday or friday of most months is that your plan is to release these this
1: week because yours is on thursday right yeah, Yep. yeah. Mine will be Friday. So yep. Okay, so yeah, they come out
0: together. So if you if you are still listening, and you have a name for this little cloud that we do once a once a month, DM it to Jeremiah or DM it to, to me or email either i some sure his emails in his link and mine will be in, in my link down below too. And uh, maybe we'll use your name.
1: Yes, sir. All right, again, we so appreciate you all. Thanks for tuning in.